Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Hello, and welcome back to Dad Without Borders. And this is a really fun conversation today with a sex therapist uh, and relationship therapist from the UK. And who better to give some advice to dads than a mum? So she's going to be dropping some great tips And yeah, it's just a really fun conversation. So I really hope you enjoy this. And yeah, if you have any questions afterwards as well, I am hoping for her to come back. Um, She's pretty keen um, to connect again and have another conversation and answer some listeners' questions. So yeah, you could always go to Instagram and send me a direct message there. And I will then follow up. So let me know. Also, have some really great dads coming up, so I just wanted to highlight some of the guests on the show over the next few weeks. Jamie will be the next guest in a couple of weeks, and he has twins. He's another uh, UK guest. His twins are potentially on the spectrum, so he talks about going through that process. Um, They're three years old, and he has a really interesting story about doing an ayahuasca ceremony in the jungle of Peru with his now partner a mother of their child uh yeah real trip listening to that story but it's really set him up to be the dad that he is today and yeah just fascinating I've never been into you know the drug culture in any way or hallucinogenics or ceremony haven't done anything like that. So I was really enjoying listening to him. So great story that he has to share in a couple of weeks. Sean Larson is back on the show again. Uh, I think we're going to connect next week. So in a few weeks, um, we'll have another episode with him. Now, for anyone that hasn't listened, he's uh, he has a PhD in counseling psychology. Um, and he's done a lot of work um, and study around fatherhood. So as a professional therapist of 17 plus years, he's also a father as well um, with two young kids, one who's a teenager. um, So he's going through the sort of teenage, can I say teenage angst? Is that a bad thing to say? Anyway, um, he's sort of dealing with, you know, that that scenario of being a dad with a teenager, which is interesting. Um, We've got an African-American dad coming up who's an ex-US Marine. And now him um, and his wife, three beautiful children, and they're both influencers on Instagram, very much into personal growth and parenting support. So really looking forward to talking to him. There's a UK dad coming up soon who represented himself in court in the UK and won full custody. Um, I think he's got three kids. I'll have to check that. Um, But yeah, he's going to be coming up soon. So really interesting. He's supporting dad's 
you know, going through their experience with divorce and dealing with the courts in a, in, I think, a fairly positive way. Um, that's the impression I get from what, you know, the kind of work that he does, which is great, because it's hard to find support when you're going through, uh, you know, these kind of legal issues in a divorce. So that'll be great to hear about what kind of support he can offer dads. Um, Kurt, uh, he will hopefully be coming on as well. He runs a dad's podcast, and I was just a guest on his show. And he's also a breathwork coach, and he's the father of three boys. And I'm about to have three boys. We have a baby due in May. Um, so yeah, anyway, lots of relatable stuff with him. Um, and it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed being a guest on his show. So I would love to get the chance to ask him some questions. And I was a guest on Jamie's show. Jamie's the dad who's on in a couple of weeks. Uh, so his show as well. Uh, I'm not sure whether when that's going to air. But in both cases, I'll share my guest appearances because I'm a little bit more open and get deeper into my own stuff on those shows. So anybody that's interested to hear, I'll share that with you. Um, and then Eric Taylor, um, another Af African-American dad, actually, who is in a similar situation to me. Um, I just realized that he has a daughter that's living separately for him, from him who is similar age to my kid as well. So I'm really looking forward to connecting with him. And he does a lot of support work around, um, he calls himself the breastfeeding dad on Instagram. So anyway, lots of stuff to get into with him as well. And there's other guests as well. In this moment, I can't remember who they are, um, but I've got other dads uh, lining up. So yeah, some great guests coming up. Um, over the holidays, I may take a couple of weeks break, um, but otherwise, yeah, I'll be ramping up again in January. Um, so yeah. Again, sex therapist and some really fun uh, advice, I guess you could say, and tips for anyone that's dealing with a sexual relationship after childbirth, um, which is in itself a lot to navigate, uh, in addition to all the other things that we have to deal with as a parent and as a dad. So yeah, so super grateful for Tabitha coming on. I will just say the sound... Um, on her mic is not the best, so the levels kind of go up and down at her end. Uh, but I think you'll still be able to hear her fine, um, but it's not, doesn't sound the most pro. But aside from that, please enjoy. Hey, Tabitha, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. Um, so could, let's start. Can you give us a brief intro to you as a mum? and your professional background? Yeah, so I have a 15 year old who's brilliant. Um, teenagers get a really, really bad rep and I'm, <laughs> I'm on a one woman mission to change that. Um, and I co-parent with my son's dad who lives in the same town as me. Um, and we have a good working relationship. And I, yeah, and I love being a parent. And I wouldn't have said that in the first two years, to be fair. <laughs> um, and professionally, I'm now a psychosexual and relationship therapist. So people come to me for anything to do with sexual or relationship issues. So I sometimes see people on their own. Sometimes I see them as couples. And I get all sorts of really interesting, intimate information from people. And I try and help them resolve those issues. Cool um that's super interesting i just a quick sideline i'm wondering 
do people find it i mean you're in the uk i guess we should say that too you're in the Le- leeds in the uk like in the middle of yeah. england pretty much and north north just about the north yeah north on the okay so you're in north of england so british people you might think of being quite stiff upper lip and not very open do you know before i became a psychosexual therapist People used to say that my superpower was getting people to talk to me about their deepest, darkest secrets. So then when I decided to do that as a profession, people were like, this is obviously the career for you. Um, So I don't know whether it's it's just my, my superpower. But I find that actually if you ask the right questions and when you're talking one-on-one with someone, and most of my work is online, so like, like this interview, um, so, but it, people still are up for talking about what's happening for them, what they're thinking about. Sometimes people get a bit shy or don't know what words to use. But once you build up that, that easy relationship, I think there's a bit of a myth about British people. But lots of my clients tend to be younger and I seem to attract people from a left-wing persuasion. I don't know if it's something about my profile or something, but I get a lot of, you know, people who are into polyamory, people into kink, um, queer people. I get, um, yeah, lots of people sort of from, yeah, from a, from a more, more left politics. So I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what I've done to, to attract that, but it happens. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Um, well, great. I better be careful then because the wife will kill me if I start opening up too much. But um, <laughs> hey, let, <laughs> let's also mention the blog, though, because I love the blog that you've started recently. So can you just give us in a nutshell what, what that's all about? Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so I started writing a blog called The Boys Are All Right to explain basically to defend, to defend boys, because I do think they get um, they get really bad press. And I think that the role of feminism isn't to drag men down, but rather to lift women up. And that's a totally different project. Um, so I started it because I wrote an article for The Boys Are All Right for Dope magazine. Um, and it, 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 I had such a good response. People were so into it. And I was quite nervous about writing it because sometimes, and you probably find this as well, Blue, if you're doing something which seems a bit pro-men, it can seem anti-women and you really don't want it to be that. And so I was a bit nervous about writing this article, but the way it took off made me think, these are things that need to be need to be said. Um, so yeah, that's, and it's so nice that it's from a woman's perspective and from a mum's perspective too because I was just thinking about that I walked the dog before just to kind of clear my head a bit before we were talking and it's exactly what was in my mind as I was coming back to the house was yeah there's there's almost I feel sometimes I need to apologize like Mm -hmm. oh but I don't mean that we don't love women or we don't love men Uh, sorry uh, mums and it's not about that and I I kind of feel like I shouldn't have to apologize but there is a sense sometimes that, yes, I don't want it to be taken that way. And I do get it. There are some dads that have had such a hard time. And I know some of them listen to the show and I, and I get it. But there are a lot of forums and groups that are quite negative towards mums and towards the system. And that's definitely not what, where I'm coming from. It's good to be conscious of it, though. And so, yeah. you know, to, and to be mindful of the language used. But yeah. So, yeah, good on you. I love the blog. 
And we should say, let's share the title of the blog. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's called The Boys Are All Right. That's right. So you would, you can find it easily. I looked it up. I remember The Boys Are All Right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, (laughs) I put an extra hour in there. So go check, yeah, go check that out because it's a really good read. I really enjoy it. Um, So let's dive straight in. Um, Based on your background, professionally, and from all the people that you're speaking to, what happens to sex and romance when a couple first have a baby? (laughs) Okay. Big question. Yeah, people are probably laughing hearing this question. (laughs) The the obvious answer is, uh, well, I actually asked on Facebook and one of my friends, one of my father friends responded like, (laughs) what? (laughs) It's a myth. It's a myth afterwards. So I think there's a really there's there's an idea and um and and partly it's true that sex what happens is sex changes fundamentally after parenting together because what's happened is your relationship is changing fundamentally after you decide to parent together so it's almost like you're in the you're in a relationship with the same person but it's a different relationship so everything that you might have built together before after parenting together is 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 all new and unique and you have all this new stuff to navigate and um and and crazy things happening physically but also psychologically for you both um particularly obviously for the person who's parent the person who's carried the baby so often what can happen is um sometimes well sometimes what can happen is men are a little bit later dads can be a bit later coming to that realization than the mum is because she's already gone through her nine months of physical changes and um and adjusting hormonally and the absolute trauma of childbirth whereas for the father his perhaps first real physical interventions is yeah during childbirth and witnessing it so you can almost imagine that for a father, he's a few months behind. Mm-hmm. And of course, you, you're not sleeping necessarily in the same bed with the mum. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Um, and then, of course, they're focused on the baby, not you. So there's, there's the shift starts to happen there. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this huge upheaval. And, you know, the expression I use to you is like a hand grenade into the relationship. So oh, my God. So true. Yeah. <laughs> it just blows up. And like, What? And it's probably quite hard to predict. So the things you were really good at together before, actually with a baby, is a whole new set of things. And if if the mother's breastfeeding as well, then what you have is this gender division of labor, even if you're not setting out, even if you're coming from it with the most egalitarian perspective and you think, oh yeah, we're going to share everything as was. But actually, if one of you is on maternity leave and one of you is breastfeeding and the other one is <laughs> going to work, then you end up going two different paths. And that can be really painful for people. That can be that you have this vision of what it would look like and actually what it looks like is something entirely different. Yeah. And you don't know how you're going to react as well as a parent. You know, in, if you haven't been a parent before, suddenly we had that with our, well, with my second boy, but my partner's first. Yeah, she's got, she's got to go through that process mentally of like, oh, I'm not me anymore. I'm like, well, I'm me, but now I'm a mom with this huge responsibility. 
having already gone through that, I found it much easier the second time around mentally to cope with that. The first time I was just didn't know what was going on. I fell apart. I've said this before twice after the first, my first boy was born, just broke down in tears, like uncontrollably in a way that was like, like it was a wave. I was like, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And, um, and, and, also there's lots of stories that don't necessarily fit so I think like childbirth the trauma of childbirth is quite underplayed you think like five to 25 percent of women end up with anal incontinence afterwards for example so think how that affects women and their body issues if you're farting in public and you can't help it and you know it's there's there's a huge new transformation it's not just about stretch marks they're kind of like the easy end and I think one of the myths, so for me personally, one of the myths was that as soon as you see your baby, you're going to fall in love with it. For me, I didn't. It took me quite a long time. And I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, I'm meant to be really, really in love with this baby. And he's just screaming at me and needing something from me. And I just feel angry. But also I have to, you know, <laughs> I have to constantly be, here on demand feeding it not sleeping etc etc but something that I'm not I'm not feeling the emotion for so I think those stories aren't really in the public imagination much right what about what's going on with the hormones with women in relation to sex like what's happening there great so estrogen is one of the key players for women with with sex testosterone as well so um really crudely speaking and i'm not a hormone expert but um so testosterone is like the sex seeking hormone it's the one that makes us yeah go out and look for it which is perhaps why partly why uh, also the social reasons as well but you know partly why maybe those with higher testosterone like men might be more up for seeking it and the estrogen is seen as sort of the sex receptivity hormone and your estrogen plummets, it, it goes really, really low after giving birth. And your estrogen stays low while you're breastfeeding. So hormonally, you've got a load of things going on that make women much less re- receptive to sex or less interested in sex, let alone the psychological reasons that you're having to share your body with somebody else. But, um, but quite rightly so that you're your attention, your vision is is focused on the thing you need to protect, on the immediate issue, rather than your partner. Um, and one thing I find really interesting is that the dads as well. So I, yeah, I was going to ask, like, what's going on with the testosterone for the men? Because I th- I think you had mentioned to me before we talked something about that dropping. Now I got to be honest, I know nothing about this. I've had two, two kids and we're going to have a third. I don't know what happens to my body. So this, this is news to me. And I'm really interested to hear this piece about the testosterone. I find this, I think this is beautiful and fascinating. So dads, after having a baby, their testosterone drops massively. Wow. And, um, and this is a really good thing. So your testosterone drops, you're less like fighty or confrontational and less sex seeking. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. There's anal fissures to deal with. Now's not the time. Okay. Yeah, but also it means that um, 
it means that men are more focused and concentrating on the baby and caregiving. So testosterone works in a complicated but really fascinating way. So um, and unlike estrogen, testosterone increases if you do certain things. So it's not just that a decrease in testosterone means you give more care to your baby. If you give more care to your baby, your testosterone decreases. Huh. Does that make sense? So the more I support the nurturing of the baby in the early days, mm-hmm. the more my testosterone is going down. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is that a, it sounds like that's a good thing for the nurturing, but in the balance of the relationship, is that a good thing? Or is it something that we could maybe do Joe, do Joe Rogan and take lots of supplements or, you know, eat certain tin fish that's going to help elevate it? Like, what can yeah. we do? Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Don't take supplements. <laughs> Just wallow in it. So what you want, your body's doing that because actually that's really, really useful. That's the best thing you can be doing as not just as a dad, but as a partner. Right. So, so that kind of decrease means you're more attentive to what's going on in the relationship and w- with, with the baby. So we want, we want that to happen. We want that testosterone to decrease and actually the whole so some men worry because actually when your testosterone decreases you know you might be more inclined to a dad bod but we, we right don't. yeah yeah <laughs> that's like to, what we know is that most most women in research most women say they they really like they really like a dad bod shut up no it's true some research i was reading before this seven out of ten women were saying yeah give me a dad bod over like a six pack wow interesting i'm gonna have to start reading up on that i had no idea i gotta start working on the belly a bit more that's great news great news for the cheese and wine one of the takeaways i would say is washing up not a washboard stomach right huh good one so testosterone is going to drop but so when does it start so bringing it back to this the the romance and stuff i mean of course the mum has gone through so much so the idea of putting any pressure on in terms of sex and expectations and things, but is there a time in the child's life, year one, second year, that like at what point might that testosterone start to pick up and things level out again? Or is this a thing that's going to go on for years? Because now we're focused on nurturing the kids. No, testosterone picks up quite quick. So you're not going to be lost. You're not going to be lost to this. this. Right that stage to the dad bod the dad bod's not going to have you sinking and as i said so your behavior influences your testosterone so once you start having more sex you get more testosterone right that makes sense so it's going to come around yeah um so in terms of a mum in the the early days then i guess the, the point is we just need to focus on the baby and set aside our sex life for a little while I'm sure there's so many variables too, depending on the couples, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, you're talking massive variables. So some people, especially if you're younger, you might bounce back really, really quick. Yeah. Those of us who are older moms, <laughs> I should have had mine at 16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leave me alone, hubby. <laughs> Quite happy watching my watching my uh, Downton Abbey, drinking my wine. Um, not that you do watch that. 
<laughs> so, but what are the common, so what are the common patterns then? Like just as a general rule, like what are the common patterns that, and issues that you see over a long-term relationship when you're having kids in terms of the bouncing back? Yeah, brilliant question. So partly, so when breastfeeding finishes, your estrogen picks up again. So it, it might pick up, it's not an exact science, it might pick up before then, but also you might start feeling, so a woman might start feeling more interested in sex before she finishes breastfeeding, of course. But after breastfeeding, that might happen again. There's a reason why in the natural world, babies are, babies are kind of two years apart. Right, and yeah. To do with breastfeeding and, and ovulation. And yeah, yeah. Um, so, but... But there's a whole lot. So although we've been talking about hormones, there's there's a whole lot of stuff which is more psychological and more around those situations. So the first thing I'd say is that one of the common things is that people haven't adjusted to their relationship changing. So adaptability, saying I recognize my relationship's going to change and it might well be better, which is what lots of people report, that actually after babies, sex can be much better some women become multi-orgasmic after having babies and they weren't before partly because the 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 physical changes that happen vaginally um but yeah a number of people report it being better afterwards so that's something to hold on to that's a good one yeah um (laughs) what about i'm just trying to think what there was something in my head then and it's disappeared. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Is it, I mean, would you advise, I don't know how it is in the UK now, but I feel like in this area and not everybody, but people are much more open to going to counselors and therapists. Is this something that you think is worth going and talking to with your partner to a counselor in order to prepare or am I way overthinking this? Like, do you have people come to you beforehand or is it usually afterwards once? It always just seems to me like if we can avoid having an issue and going to to a therapist because we have an issue, why don't we work with a therapist to try and figure out, okay, how are we going to attack this? Well, not attack it. That sounds like a bad, that's very bad way of saying it in terms of a sexual relationship. But you know what I mean? Like as a couple, like, okay, we we know this is going to happen. And so why don't we be proactive? And just recognize some of this. And like, I literally never knew anything about, which sounds ridiculous, testosterone dropping in my body. No idea. So it's really interesting to hear that. So yeah, what do you find? Do people come to you before? Or is it usually afterwards when there are issues? Yeah, people just come to me as a last resort usually. But also, I, I don't do myself a lot of job. But I would say that there's some amazing books out there as well that are really, really useful. So there's, um, yeah, I can... I can write them down for you if you want to send them out. As well. I'll put them in the notes. Yeah, let's do that. I'll put them in the show notes. Perfect. Right. Yeah, yeah that would be super Emily Nagoski is the Bible of women's sexuality. It's brilliant. Um, and Mating Captivity by Esther Perel about sex and long-term relationships is, <laughs> is the other Bible about um, long-term relationships. Because yeah. it's, not just, it's not just while having children that um, sex lives tend to take a dip many relationships that have a woman in them have a decline in sexual interest so female female relationships female male relationships but not male male relationships 
they kind of stay sexually on track. So women often can lose. Women seem to find it hard to square sex and love a lot of the time. So although there's that myth about men, men are much less likely to lose interest in their long-term sexual partner. They might be still really interested in having sex with other people, but they're less interested. They don't lose interest in sex with their going partner. So do we know what's going on for the mum in a long-term relationship? Like, why is that? Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that people often come and see me about, and it's very sweet, but it tends to be when it's gone really wrong. So basically, if we're talking like a heterosexual, a heterosexual couple with a kid, for example, so they come and see me and the guy is like, but I've tried everything to fix it. I've, um, you know, I've, I've bought sexy underwear and I've... <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and you know I've, I've done this and I've done that and I'm trying and he's he's really sort of focused on trying to fix it which is is almost the opposite of what he needs to be doing so one of the other takeaways I really want your readers to get is this idea of a dual dual control model so listen carefully to this okay this. we got this you've got sexually you've got the brakes and the accelerators so the inhibitors and the exciters, right? Just like with a car. Yeah. So the guy that's come to see me is to be like, oh, but I bought her sexy underwear. Uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I I wore a thong. So he's trying to he's trying to press down on the accelerator. Accelerator, the accelerator. yeah. Yeah. But she's like, the house is tip. The kids keeping me up all all hours of the night. I feel bad about my body. I'm um I've got to go back to work in a week and I don't have to juggle everything this she her her pedals you know the pedal of the brake the brake pedal sometimes like the brake pedal is firmly down so often when someone's trying to focus on the exciters what they need to look at usually instead is the inhibitors why are the brakes down gotcha what are the blocks that she's facing right now Exactly. and try and resolve those anxious pieces yeah absolutely no point coming on saying you know oh i've arranged for us to go for dinner tonight if you haven't also arranged your babysitter yeah 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 that's a good point um so focus on their blocks as opposed to buying lube flowers <laughs> and you know lingerie which is a classic one i feel like that's a real old school move <laughs> so what about the changing role of the man from like the masculine figure you know being sexually desirable to your partner and now you're like in a more nurturing role um which tends to feel less sexy and attractive right compared to like chopping the woods you know being covered in grease and your overalls and now you're covered in nappies and shit um it's just such a big role shift there um yeah i wonder if that has or what impact that might have on the female and how they see the dad now yeah yeah i think that's an excellent question i think it's probably best answered by the fact that you kind of you you need to be a team because you're growing growing a person together or more than one person together um 
but also you want that person you want you want that person to actually be a little bit at arm's length and this sounds a real traditional kind of model of you know mystery or something like that but actually space in a relationship is really really important and seeing that person as other to yourself so not just as your colleague and your um your sort of cohort in family family upbringing but as a separate person so so something about the women find men most attractive in long-term relationships when they don't feel like they're caretaker for a start so if sex feels like a demand not an invite that's gonna that feels like a whingy toddler right that's not good a repulsive thing ever (laughs) (laughs) but um but seeing that person as as autonomous and capable and competent so you don't have to be the caretaker so you can move in so that female can move into this idea of you know being an object of desire it's quite a move but to be able to move to that position of feeling like a sexy person in and of yourself is essential for women to feel desire for their partner so I feel like a lot of the time men almost imagine that women are focusing on them sexually like yeah if I get more buff she'll be more attracted to me but actually if you can make her feel sexier as an individual that's gonna right because we know that we can have the dad bod because so we can stop buffing ourselves up and instead lift them up you know one thing just as you're saying that reminded me of a moment recently and I forget what this was I think maybe I was away to visit my boy last Halloween in the UK because we have a visitation schedule kind of worked out and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this but I think because I was away for that week or whatever when I came back you know and I'm doing things like chopping the wood I tell I always do the recycling and the garbage it's an unsaid thing I just deal with it doesn't mean that she doesn't sometimes um but there's certain things around the house that i kind of you know i'll run around and get done get the fire stoke it make sure she rarely has to open the wood stove um through the winter and yeah i think she was sitting there one time on the couch and she was she just kind of looked at me and was like oh man i kind of i just i really appreciate you right now i'm realizing how much you do which made me feel really good but in you know, doing all of these chores and making sure that she had less to worry about. Um, I'm not great in the kitchen. I'll openly say that I can, but she tends to just sort of take that. That's her sort of domain. And, but I take care of everything else or as much as I can. And yeah, it was a really good thing for our relationship. And there's ebbs and flows, right? Like we both need to be reminded of what we both offer to the relationship sometimes in terms of like the boring chores, because it's such a big part of your life when you have kids that, yeah, sometimes it is. And I do the same. Sometimes I don't appreciate it all the time. And then every now and again, I'm like, wow, that was an amazing meal. Wow. I, I do really appreciate that you do a lot of the cooking. And sometimes it's, you just don't want to take people for granted. I don't think that's sexy. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that you said about a week, you know, it was, it was before you came over to the UK for Halloween. So space is a gift. I think people, you know, as about to say, don't quote me on this, but I'm quoting myself. But you know, communication is good, but it's not everything. Sometimes you need someone to shut up and go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said it to me yesterday. She's like, I just want this conversation to stop. And it wasn't anything. I don't know what it was. 
I forget. It wasn't anything serious, but I was just kind of bugging her and I went for a dog. You know, we just needed some space, even for like yeah. a half an hour, right? Yeah. Um, that's a really, I think it's a good reminder though, because when you've got young kids, some days, because it's raining outside, we've got a two-year-old and we just don't, we almost don't leave the house. It's just easier because he's happy in the house. We've got a big enough house. We can find our own space, but you're just like, damn, yeah, it's good to kind of go off for the day on your own. And just the space is so good. Yeah, yeah. So space for yourself, but space for your partner as well. I would say. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, and it really helps new mums not feel like the caretaker all the time of everybody's feelings and emotions. But it's a way of seeing your partner from a distance, which is when you find the most attractive. So then you remember all the good stuff. Yeah, right. Totally. And then you, then you arrive back with a bag of laundry, right? <laughs> Is that what we said? I forget. Um, yeah, no, it's so true. Laundry can be great. It's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's learning to read the room and sort of not trying. You want to try hard, but not on the wrong thing. Right. So I think an invite, not a demand is, is really, really essential. So it doesn't feel like another chore. That's a good takeaway too. I like that phrase invite not a demand yeah. um you know a thought that just popped in my head we're gonna have another baby next may may 11th we're having another boy and so far i've not really experienced we haven't done neither of my boys have been bottle fed mm-hmm. and that's part i mean i think in both cases the, the mums were just found finding it easier it was talked about but it was certainly actually with my youngest it didn't even really come up. Mum's just happy breastfeeding. That's what she wants to do. Is there an advantage to them expressing and then the dad, bo- or I should say the part, it's a dad podcast. So I'll say dad, but you know, for a partner doing the bottle feeding that way, like, are there advantages to that? Like, I think it has to be the mum's decision in terms of what they're comfortable with. But I wonder yeah. if there is, it somehow correlates to like maybe getting the sex life back or just, I don't know, just the sanity back of like being stuck with the baby all of the time. Yeah. So I don't know how it is in Canada, but for me, I loathed breastfeeding. I was really terrible at it. And it, I only could do it in certain positions and it didn't come naturally. And yeah, it was part of my awful experience of early motherhood. And, um, and I wish someone had said it was all right to bottle feed. But I had quite a lot of, I don't know, sort of (laughs) that kind of hippie pressure of like, yeah, you got to do it naturally, et cetera, et cetera. And this is best for him and you and you'll bond quicker if you do. It's like I didn't bond with him until I stopped. But I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Oh, man. I wish if somebody had said, you know, it doesn't, it's not going to kill him if you bottle feed. So I... I agree that it's the mum's decision, but sometimes if you are in hormonal hell and you're sleepless, it can be quite hard to make those decisions. Right. So I, yeah, and, and sort of struggling through. And sometimes you kind of want someone to take a bit of the management aspect off. Not to say you've got to stop breastfeeding, but rather if you do decide to stop breastfeeding, you know. I'll it's post. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah that's a it's a great point i feel like it's the same here 
I would say, you, yeah, the breastfeeding. Well, same thing, though. It doesn't work for everybody. And I don't think that I may be oblivious to this. I don't feel there's judgment around that. I may be surprised if someone's using formula early on, like super early on. But again, it's just it's whatever works, isn't it? I mean, you just want a healthy baby and a healthy mum and yeah. happy parents. I mean, that's ultimately what you want, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I struggled through to eight months. So, <laughs> and luckily it stopped. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, good for you. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I think we're talking about, it's been my suggestions, like maybe we should think about expressing some milk, at least so I can do some feeding and you can get out, you know, just for some sanity rather than be locked in. Um, let's, let's dive into this question I got for you. Um, so what about porn use for dads? Because they maybe they don't want to bother their partner or then they get into the habit of porn is their go-to so oh. rather that you know and so i had a friend years ago and he said to me this is nothing to do with parenting or whatever but i remember him saying to me something like yeah i got a pretty good you know i got a pretty good sex life with my um with my missus um it'd be way better if i didn't watch porn and he was sort of a self <laughs> what am i trying to say like a self-confessed 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 porn addict I'm porn addict, yeah. 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 So he's a porn addict. And so that I thought that was interesting. But then you could relate that obviously to having kids. Um, and yeah, I know it's a huge thing with dads, um, oh. and men in general, and I'm sure women as well. Um, so is porn ruining sex lives and marriages? <laughs> so that's yeah, that's a good <laughs> it's a good question. And um, I do get a number of men coming to see me for porn fiction. Um, very few women, actually. But um, yeah, men who come to see me for porn fiction. I think, I think a couple of things which may, be, may seem slightly conflictual, but I think there's a little bit of moral panic about porn. So there's a big market for porn addiction. You know, people act as if it's like, you know, the most terrifying thing ever and the worst thing ever. And actually, lots of the research suggests that, for example, that men who watch porn have more egalitarian attitudes towards women than men who don't. This is probably, you know, there's all these other factors to take into account, like age, um, you, you know, not being maybe of an evangelical Christian background, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these things. And the main issue that when men experience so erectile dysfunction from porn induced erectile dysfunction is a little bit of a, a panic at the moment but all the research again seems seems to suggest that it's only if there's a real moral conflict so if you're watching a lot of porn and you think that that's wrong that that internal conflict is going to cause a lot of trouble for you so I think porn can, porn is a, is a thing. Let's see it as an object. It's a bit like, you know, <laughs> is wine bad for a relationship? It could be really good, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. It depends how you use it. If you, you know, if you have a bottle on a, a Friday night together, then it could be great. If so you, it could be a tool is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. So watching it together can be, re can be really good for couples or 
even watching it on your own and talking about it or watching it on your own and that being known it can be an issue if somebody came to see me and they said that they with their long-term partner they never had sex that they watch porn three or four times a week and they always masturbate to porn I the first and they've been doing this for you know a year or so I would say try and mix it up try not to always watch porn because porn's really good at what it does it takes on average four minutes to orgasm through porn for men and women which is interesting Um, because it's yeah it's 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 full on it's very sex you know sex 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 there 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 and and actually real life sex is not very much like that it's a little bit more clumsy or you know speak for yourself tabs speak for yourself (laughs) and it's a little bit more it's a bit more human and it's it's more beautiful but it's more dreadful all at the same time so So mixing it up use it as a tool use it as a tool um and I think sometimes there can be some confusion. So sometimes I have a couple who the mum will think that he's watching porn because he's just more interested in their bodies. And it's to do with the fact that she no longer has that body. And he will tell me, so I do individual sessions, for example, with people person. He will tell me, no, porn's really good because I don't want to bother her. And the women seem to enjoy it. I would say 99% of the time, this is the story I hear from different people. Oh, when you say, and they enjoy it, you're talking about the person they're watching on the porn? Yeah. So they, they oh, say, interesting. Women in porn seem to see, you know, they, they act as if they enjoy it. So, yeah. So he's not going, oh, she's got this perfect body, it's more he's getting off on watching women enjoy it so he's kind of like if my partner enjoyed it or if she then I would be interested there right they've gone to bed early you know in their pajamas and their book yeah made binchy or whatever they're reading and yeah I could <laughs> I, I could see yeah that would that makes sense that's super that's actually super logical as to why yeah. a man would look watch porn in that sense huh interesting having those conversations is really useful as well because also it can it can then embed this idea so then for her she's like well I'm not sexy I'm not attractive to him because he waits till I go to bed with my Maeve Finchley book and then he watches porn as soon as I've gone to bed right so this- and I'm sure it's a secret thing as well that's going on like yeah. some, I bet you most people are not talking about it openly absolutely so it's secret thing that's going on but both know about it and both are coming from the perspective where they're feeling a bit rejected and like they're the one that is somehow not wanted right works both ways yeah yeah absolutely but i would say it's a tool you can use it don't use it all the time if you think it's becoming a problem definitely stop and have a month off or try it like occasionally do like alternate through you know using your imagination because your imagination is the best thing you have sexually much better than a vibrator you want your imagination because that is partly what makes sex with the same person for 20 years great again because you're filling in some bits with your with your mind and your imagination whether that's pastimes or you know cooking it up a little bit or some something's happening in your in your imagination that's not just the same thing again and again and again 
you're thinking about that lingerie that you wish you'd just wear that you bought. Um, <laughs> you could, uh, and you know what, pull out the Wi-Fi plug at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the evening or whatever. And like, yeah, that could be one way to, to stop the fella creeping off. We actually well, do that. We do that not for not in relation to porn, but we just we unplug the Wi-Fi sort of sort of mid-evening, partly for the kid, really, so they can have a better sleep because the oh, Wi-Fi router is upstairs near the bedroom. Um, but yeah, just a thought, throw it out there. We started uh, playing chess. Not that that's that sexy, but just to have that time, that connection together. Because sometimes yeah. that's part of the thing too, I would think, is that yeah. like in the evening, often we're guilty of watch, going watching Hannah or something on the Netflix or whatever it is. Um, that's the show right now that <laughs> my missus is really into. But yeah, it's just too easy to hit the couch. You just kind of like zone out watching something. Then you're so tired, you go to bed. Kid's going to get up at 5.30. You're not actually taking any time in the week in an evening just to connect, just to yeah. talk about your day. Or somebody said the other day in the podcast, who was that? Um, I think it was Jamie, our mutual friend there in the UK. Uh, but the idea of in the day having a time to connect, because by the evening, you're always really you're kind of winding down. So if you can find time in the day for an hour, just to have you time to reconnect. Because it's nice to have that connection before you jump into bed and have sex. So if you haven't had any time to connect and then you're like, okay, let's try to do it tonight. This will be the night. Yeah. And the idea of planning for me, I'm like, that's ah, not sexy. Yeah. So I, I think what you said is really, really crucial. But Esther Perel, who is a goddess, basically. But yeah, um, yeah I'd really, really look out for her. Look out for her, her stuff. She's a, she's a sex therapist. She's... She's in her 60s and she's got such, she's, she's so hot and she's got such charisma and she does this couple of TED Talks, which are just oh, smoking. And they're all yeah about sex and long-term relationships and one about infidelity. She's the woman I want to be in 20 years' time. <laughs> you will be her. She has a great line, which is about that foreplay happens the, the minute you, you have the last orgasm from the last sex. So you don't want to go not to 60 in a relationship you you have you want foreplay is in the daily interactions it's that kind of the looking the smile the hand on the shoulder the the stroke you know the smack of the butt the kind of it's it's the little playful things and sometimes when a couple lose that and then they're like why you know oh we're not having sex and they're just focusing on the sex we haven't even got the flirting but Actually, that's the bit that makes you feel really interested. So what you were saying about that game of chess, chess can be really super hot. <laughs> and it's because it's a little bit of power play and it's it's strategy and it's trying to guess what your partner's thinking and it's working them out. And it's probably also a time to be curious about your partner where you might be asking some questions, which is really sexy. Another tip for dads, ask your partner what's going on for them in their head. <laughs> as an invite not a demand um so, so creating erotic space so what jamie was saying about scheduling some time say in the afternoon just to connect i would say scheduling scheduling erotic space even if it's not sex if it's saying right on a tuesday night we go to bed as soon as the kids in bed we'll go to bed and we'll be naked and we'll just 
see what happens. So it's not saying, right, we're going to, you know, have, have sex at eight o'clock, but you're saying you're going to be naked. The Wi-Fi is unplugged. You're going to be doing that. Spontaneity is a bit of a myth. Everyone thinks that they were spontaneous in the early days. But I promise you, when you were putting on your best pants, when you were, <laughs> when you were drinking the three bowls of wine like we did <laughs> on our first date. Yeah. When you're, when you're preparing, you're preparing because you think you're going to have sex. That's not spontaneous. <laughs> yeah. You're dropping the Viagra, which I've never <laughs> tried, but maybe that'll be a thing. It's, it, can really, it can be really useful. I'll see Alice uh, to probably say more than Viagra. But um, so those things, those preparation things happened all the time, but we just weren't honest about it. You had your Wonder Woman pants on. We knew you were going to get laid. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you make it a fair point. The idea of just going to bed early just to watch a movie even, whatever, like, you know, take the laptop and just find an excuse to be in bed early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say ideally not a movie, but rather that kind of catch up where you're focusing your attention on each other. And that's the erotic space. That's the space right. where you go, I'm going to be exploring what's happening for you. And that might be sexually or it might be just what you're thinking or that kind of connection. Yeah. You're right. If you put a movie on, you both end up asleep in 10 minutes, snoring on each other, right? And dribbling. That's not sexy. You know, you know what you said, actually, I like it about the um the flirtation piece. And I thought this actually just this morning, while my boy was having breakfast, and mum's sitting there too. I'm quite overtly loving with, and I'd say with my partner overall, but like regularly with my little one rubbing him on the back, give him a kiss when I come downstairs, give him a little snuggle. Don't do that so much with mum. And I just, I didn't say it out loud this morning, but I remember thinking that to myself, like, oh, what? I, he's getting all of this attention all of the time. And I just forget to kind of do that touch on mum as I kind of walk past her, as I'm going to grab my cup of tea or whatever. But just those little things, actually, I think do really help maintain that sort of romance mm-hmm. in the relationship. I think also it's good parenting. So even if it's not default and you have to make yourself do it, because when when people come and see me, for example, I ask them, like, what were your parents like with each other? How affectionate were they? And some will say, you know, my parents used to snog in the kitchen. You could tell they were really in love. And others will say, I never even saw them hold hands. And what that does to a person, what, messages that gives a person when they're growing up about what relationships are like what se- what sex is what it is really really strong so as a good bit of parenting i would say no that's so good because it's so true that they mirror everything they see and so uh, undoubtedly, i know we do it enough because because my eldest who's eight is always like ooh, they're kissing ooh, and then of course the little two-year-old's go- copies him and ooh. But now the two-year-old, he wants to be in there, which is really sweet. So he'll come in and then he'll make sure that we will have a, t- it's a team hug. He doesn't yeah. like, to, he doesn't like to be left out, but that's no, it's such, that's a really good. So everybody's winning really yeah. when we show that affection, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a last question for you, um, mm-hmm. which relates to both of us because we both have blended families. Um mm-hmm. So what about relationship and sex issues with blended families? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. I I think it's I think it can be at either end. It can almost be things can it can make things worse having a blended family sometimes because you have all the negotiation to do with somebody outside. You might have um, increased animosity with somebody from outside. There might be jealousy issues. There can be all sorts going on. But <laughs> on the other side, I've always said I split up with my son's dad when he was two. My my son, not my son's dad, obviously. I would say that too. Um, so, but I've always felt like it's been really, really useful because we managed to co-parent in a way where I get time where I'm parenting and I get time not parenting, which does wonders for your sex life <laughs> when you don't have to worry about having the kid in the house and and so I think that can be a real joy with blended families but also for you in terms of your your sort of your sex life if you've got a good co-parenting relationship and you get to share the parenting in a way that doesn't cause too much hostility then you end up getting some of the time you used to have before you were a parent and you get to be a parent as well yeah, I really found it a positive experience being a co-parent, I have to say. The only thing I struggled with was, well, once you've got the schedule figured out and sometimes you might want to go to, you know, a family counsellor to help with that so that you get a, you have an intermediary kind of thing saying, well, this is what this is going to work really well for the kids. So, don't you know, that extra day or not that you're going to lose, don't get hung up on it because um, really it's the yeah the child's best interests and what's best for them. You're going to have a relationship with your kid unless you're being alienated. And that's a whole other topic. But um, I found it like just, it took a day for me to remember who I was almost just like from the hecticness of being a single parent. So maybe it's different co-parenting when you, and I have co-parented as a single parent and I've co-parented with a partner as well. And I think with a partner it was a little bit easier on your own you kind of takes a bit of transition and then mm -hmm. i found i found it hard to date that was a process for me mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. again you're just trying to you're like who am i and then you're trying to introduce this child into this new relationship which is tricky i did it really gradually how was that for you well i i ended up seeing somebody who's 15 years younger than me and I was like, at first, I was like, no way, man. <laughs> this is just not going to work. And then we started seeing each other. And I was like, well, obviously, it's never going to be serious. Because he's 15 years younger than me, right? Yeah. That's the last. So I, I was like, you know, it's not, I'm not going to rush it. And then eventually, when they did meet my son, <laughs> my son had his, like, worst tantrum ever. And we were, like, miles from anywhere. There was this, like like he was just having a screaming fit and he was not like he usually it was just it was just absolutely awful and and now they're really really good mates so they're like it works now <laughs> and the 15 years younger is not an issue no not any well not anymore I mean it might be when, <laughs> when I got to mentor in my 70s but for now it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's whatever works isn't it um yeah that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's interesting to hear someone else as a co-parent express the same feelings that I have, which is, yeah, it's actually a really, it's almost like a perfect parenting situation in a way. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we don't need to have this like a singular model. And and I think, yeah, one of the one of the useful things, and I struggle to maybe remind myself of this sometimes, is like I don't need my son's dad to I don't need to work my shit out with him anymore. So he can I just need a good working relationship with him. So that's really good. That's really good. You're right. Yeah. And sometimes it can take a while to let that go, but you're right. It's done. Move on. Yeah. Working so, relationship. Yeah. So we're, we're friendly. We do Christmases. We do birthdays. We, you know, we'll, we'll sometimes go to cinema all together as a family. We'll have family days sometimes, but we parents evening, that kind of thing, but we don't need, I don't need to send him three paragraphs explaining stuff that's going on in my life because I need to change in childcare. Right. Yeah, there's that term. Um, is it gray scaling? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I remember that right. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was mentioning that before. But um, yeah, the gray scaling, which can, do you know what the definition of that is? I don't, I don't. I've just but the simplicity of, it's just, I think it's just like you stick to the absolute facts. Minimal. I'd have to look it up. But if anybody out there, is having this situation with an ex-partner, um, another parent, look up grayscaling. And basically it's just, yeah, you just avoid any of the drama, any of the long-winded explanations. I'm guilty of it um, for sure, because I always want to be understood as to why I want a certain day, date, for example, to pick the kid up or whatever, whatever it might be. I always want to be understood. And so I'm getting better. I'm trying to be really conscious to keep it really simple. Because at the end of the day, this relates back to the sex. Because if I'm worked up from emails back and forth with my ex, you know, the other parent, I'm then not going to, I'm not even going to be appear very sexy to my partner here, my wife, because she's just like, oh, geez, like, that's not really what I want to hear right now. Yeah. Not that we have that, but I'm just, it's a thought for sure. It's like, you don't want to have your head you know, in that old relationship when you're trying to maintain a healthy sex relationship um, and all the other pieces that come with that relationship on the yeah. day-to-day. I think every good co-parent has a draft folder of hate. <laughs> I have a special folder where all the emails I don't send are in. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> the light of day, but I got it off my chest. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and sometimes writing stuff down is good, but maybe yeah, don't do it where there's a send button. Um, yeah. after you've had a, that bottle of wine because you because it's sexy night. <laughs> You're like, hang on, I've just got to finish this email. Yeah, you've got to be careful with that. <laughs> yeah. Hey Tabs, it's been really fun um to reconnect. I'm glad we're connected again online. Um, I'm reading the blogs. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what response we get from this um, episode. It wasn't something I saw coming up and I saw it was such a good opportunity. I was like, yeah, it's so fab to have you on. Um, and maybe we can have you on again. Um, maybe I'll open up, open up to uh, questions from the audience and down the, road, down the road, we can do that. That would be kind of fun, actually. That would be lovely. I'd love a phone in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a live one. Oh, there we go. That, that would be spicy. That could go wrong. Right. <laughs> oh, really? Right. It's true. Well, what's nice too is that a lot of people probably are too shy 
to um, have these open conversations and maybe to go to counselors. So that's where the podcast is nice. We can just kind of throw out some of this stuff and I'm sure it will land with a lot of dads out there. And there's a lot of mums that listen to the show too, which is kind of nice. So it's nice to have a female perspective every now and again on the show. Um, so I'm really conscious of that. But yeah, thanks so much, Tabs. It's been really great. It's been an absolute pleasure to be an honorary dad. <laughs> nice to see you again. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, let's stay, let's keep in touch. And um, yeah, we'll speak again. Okay, all the best. Bye. Okay, see you, Tabs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders, and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show, and we'll see you next time.